so there's two ways of life, right? This is what the scriptures teach. It's not like there's the religious way and there's the irreligious way. It's not that there's the, the moral and godly. It's not, it's not just the moral righteous way and over here is the bad way. It's really a lot more specific than that. It's that there's the Jesus way and there's the me way. And that's really all there is. Jesus says, I am the way. You know, he said, I, that's it. There's the me way. And that doesn't mean that we just do the things that Jesus does. Because we can't just do the things that Jesus does. He's God. He's the one who does the things that Jesus does. <laughs> we don't do what Jesus does. Jesus does what Jesus does. What we do is trust Jesus to do the things that Jesus does. Okay, so our, the Jesus way is the way of following Christ, trusting in Christ. And following him is not just doing what he does. Following him is trusting him with our lives, depending on him. That's the Jesus way. And so when we say that at Park of Ford Church, we're people following Christ, the idea isn't just that we're trying to do the Jesus stuff. It's that we're trying to know, follow, trust Jesus and let him do the thing that he does in us. In this way, when we are following the Jesus way, all of us who follow the Jesus way, we are part of something that he calls the kingdom of God. When we're following Jesus, when we're trusting Jesus, those who follow him, those who have received him as Savior and follow him, we are a part of this thing that he refers to as the kingdom of God. And it's so weird when this Jesus way, this kingdom of God way, when he talks about it, he has all these bizarre things. I mean, you've read the Sermon on the Mount and you've heard the Jesus principles. And honestly, they look super irrational sometimes, don't they? I just, I mean, I know if you've, if we've indoctrinated ourselves enough, they don't look irrational anymore. But initially, to your average person, you know, you give to receive or, or like the things like love your enemies. It's just bizarre. Don't worry about tomorrow. You know, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth. What's the common wisdom of Vanguard? You know, long term investing. You know, and, and but in the human mindset and physical mindset, long term investing means investing toward retirement or maybe toward my next generation. But then all of a sudden, Jesus says, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth at all. And it's an irrational thought. Why? Because our minds and our hearts are restricted by this idea, uh, this what sin has done and corrupted us and allows us only to see the physical. And so initially, I used to call the, the kingdom of God in my mind, I, I would just think of it as an upside down kingdom where he, Jesus just turns everything upside down. But eventually, I started to think in terms of an inside out kingdom. And, and that from the inside, the spirit, when Jesus sees the bigger picture, the deeper picture, the spirit picture, and he leads with the spirit, then the flesh is to follow the spirit. And it's not that the flesh is irrelevant or that everything that's physical is bad. By no means. It's just that when Jesus talks about the eternal things, the spiritual things, the things that, that can stand the test of time, those things come to the forefront. And if I can integrate those into my thinking, all of a sudden the kingdom of God isn't so upside down. It actually makes a lot of sense. It's just that Jesus has a much bigger vantage point than I do. One of those principles is the principle of giving and receiving. It's this principle of giving and receiving. And uh, in Acts, um, we, we, well, before we even get there, Jesus says it is more blessed to give than to receive. Where in the scriptures does Jesus say that? This is a test. It's Anybody know? When did Jesus say that? I am so grateful for the silence. You know why? Because nowhere in the entire Bible 
do we see Jesus saying it is more blessed to give than to receive in those words. However, in Acts, he is quoted by Paul as saying that abstractly. Look at this verse in Acts, Acts 20, 35. This is where this comes from. This is in Acts. Jesus is resurrected and in heaven. And Paul says, the Lord Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Funny thing is you go back and look at all the teachings of Jesus in scripture and you won't find that phrase. But you'll find it in Acts. Paul had the inside scoop. He knew something that the rest of the scriptures, we didn't know. It could be that there was, you know, that's verbally passed down or, or maybe Paul summarizing the statements of Jesus or whatever, maybe a combination of all of that. But he said, Jesus said it is more blessed to give than to receive. And this is Paul quoting Jesus from what source we're not exactly sure. But Jesus is telling us that in the kingdom of God, that the receiving of a gift is not nearly as cool as giving one. That that is a much cooler principle. And in our minds, especially if we're Christians, we actually believe this. Sometimes we've experienced it. We only partially actually feel like we can live by this principle. Correct? Confession? Everyone else cool with that? I mean, I'm going to stick it out there and say, yeah, I'm, that, that's true of me. You know, I'll put it out there and just, that's true of me. That sometimes I really would rather receive than give because I think that would be way cooler. Like Colton's saying, this is so worth it. You know, that you are giving me a foot rub right now. It's really worth it. You know, um, by the way, I don't want to make it look like my son. He's the best, like, back rubber in our whole family. And and, and you never have to ask him for it. He just comes up and starts scratching your back or rubbing your back. He doesn't quite have the strength for it yet to get in there. But, you know, his heart is all there. So anyway... um, it's more blessed to give than to receive. This this picture that Jesus talks about in the kingdom of God, it's not a new one. The, the mysteries, the mysteries, we were just talking about this, Chris, we were just talking about this in the Sunday school class, that the mysteries of God are hidden and they're not revealed until Christ. And yet they're already true. The mysteries of God are true since the foundation of the earth because, because God is eternal and who he is is already there, you know? But slowly and progressively he reveals that. And in Jesus, it's like, oh, that's what that says. And this principle of giving is, is better than receiving is all through the Old Testament. We just don't realize how much it's a principle of the kingdom of God until we get to the New Testament. Here's a picture of it in the Old Testament is in Proverbs 11, 24 to 25. Listen to this one. One person gives freely, yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly, but comes to poverty. A generous person will prosper, and whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. What's that saying? It's more blessed to give than to receive. You know, that's what it's saying. And and we get to see it in the person of Jesus. You know, that's where we get to see it. Solomon in his wisdom understands this principle. It's not a, a, a bulletproof rule that those who are very generous with their money will be wealthy financially and those who hold on to their money uh, uh, will go to poverty. That's not, but there is a general principle that Solomon picked up on and that Jesus explained more fully, which is that it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. That the joy in life, the treasure is found when we are able to give. That's the treasure. That's the treasure. That's where we find it, is when we give. Now, Jesus, I want to take us to a place where Jesus describes this whole principle in a way that's it's a little bit different. It's a little bit different, and that's in Luke chapter 4. So if you have your Bible, open up to Luke 4. I want to continue to remind you that if you don't have a Bible and you want one, 
Um, there are red Bibles in the back. You can have one. It's yours to keep for free. Luke chapter 4, verses 23 to 30. Now this, by the way, Jesus has just got done in this passage. He, um, he, he was in Nazareth. What's Nazareth to Jesus? Birthplace, uh, hometown, hometown. Birthplace is Bethlehem, but hometown is Nazareth. Birthplace down by Jerusalem, that's where he was born, but his family is really from Nazareth, and that's where he spends uh, much of his childhood. He spends some of it in Bethlehem, some of it in Egypt, but most, most of it in Nazareth, that's hometown. So Jesus is from Nazareth. He's back home now that he's into the ministry. And when he's in the ministry, he got done in Capernaum. That's where he set up base. And now he came back. And when he was in Nazareth, he got up to read the scrolls and he read from Isaiah. And when he read from Isaiah about what it is that the Lord was going to be doing, he was setting the captives free and giving sight to the blind and all of that. He gets done reading the passage and he puts the scroll down and he says, today in your reading, this scripture has been fulfilled. The audacity or the authority in that statement is spectacular. When he says this Old Testament prophecy is fulfilled right here, right now, in front of you as I read it. That's that's something. You know, that's something. After he gets done saying that, this is what happens, okay? Uh, Verse 25, Jesus said to them, Surely you will quote this proverb to me. Physician, heal yourself. Do here in your hometown which you have heard, which we what we have heard that you did in Capernaum. What did Jesus do in Capernaum? In general, miracles, miracles. Did lots of really cool stuff. Okay, so they're saying to him, he's 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 saying, I know what you're thinking. I know what you're going to say. You're going to say that old proverb. If you're the doctor and you can heal everyone else, and you can go do all that stuff, then come home and heal at home. Take care of your family. Take care of us. Heal yourself. You need the healing too, so heal us. You know, here you are, back home, Jesus, good old boy. Come home and and, and do the stuff here. I tell you the truth, he continued. No prophet is accepted in his hometown. I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the sky was shut for three and a half years. And there was a severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha, the prophet. Yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman, a Syrian. Syrian. Sound familiar? All the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up and drove him out of the town and took him up to the brow of the hill in which the town was built, on which the town was built, in order to throw him down the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. All right. So what in the world does this have to do with giving and receiving? What's that have to do with giving and receiving? You see, when it comes to receiving from God, we actually need to invest in order to receive. And Jesus says very clearly that so as we've done to the least of these brothers of mine, we've done 
unto him. There's this principle that these two things of giving and receiving are deeply tied. And what happens here is that Jesus actually has some spectacular things to offer his hometown, but they can't receive it. They can't receive Jesus. They can't receive the gift. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. But they could not receive Jesus as the prophet, as the priest, as the Messiah that he was. Why? Why did they struggle to receive Jesus? Any guesses? Why would it be difficult in Nazareth? He's where he's from. I mean, I'm like Jesus, really? Son of God. Okay, you know? And I'm sure he was a good kid, you know? I'm sure he was and everything. But seriously, they watched him as a little human grow up like this. And it becomes very, very difficult for them to receive him in this form because they still see him in this form. And so what they're thinking, and here's the bigger deal. It's not just that they won't receive the fullness of his authority. It's also that they think Jesus owes it to them. How do we know that? Because they say, physician, heal yourself. Do here in your hometown what you did in Capernaum. If you're going to go and hook those people up, then you better come back home and hook us up. You ever had that kind of situation? Where it's like, if you're going to be going out and doing that for that person, you better be doing it for me. That's called entitlement. That's what that's called. And these people felt a sense of entitlement with Jesus, which meant they were not in a posture of giving toward Jesus. They were in a posture where they thought Jesus owed something to them. And when we are in a posture of entitlement, we cannot receive what we should be receiving. And so Jesus, he does this great thing. He He's, it's, I mean, his mind, I love the way Jesus' mind works. It blows me away every time. And how his mind just flips to prophets in the Old Testament who in their hometown were rejected, and then they go elsewhere and everything works out. And the first one that he mentions is Elijah and the Zarephath widow. Six years ago, I preached at a rally day sermon here at Parker Ford Church. It's before Josh and I were here, and we went through the replant. And this was the text that we went through was this text on the Zarephath widow in in Kings. And we're not going to break down that whole thing, but the reason that we went through that text is because I believe it's an extremely apropos text for this particular congregation. That that congregation speaks profoundly to God's call. That text speaks profoundly to the call on Parker Ford Church. A call to faith. A call to step beyond. To believe for something bigger and to give toward it. And this is what this is what Jesus talks about when it comes to uh, him entering his hometown and and seeing them in a place of entitlement and not having the the, the giving and receiving working right. And so here's the story. I'm not going to read the text for us because it takes too long. But here's the story. The Zarephath widow is she lives way out in Gentile territory. There's a there's a famine in Israel. You remember, anybody remember what's going on? Why there's a famine in Israel? Israel had turned its back on God and it was worshiping false idols and all of that. And so Elijah was sent by God as a prophet to go and speak to the king and to the queen and to tell them that there was going to be a drought. For three years, there was going to be no rain. Well, no, there was going to be no rain. That's what he said. There will be no rain, period. Okay, so he says that. How how do the king and the queen respond? Anybody remember? Furious, okay? They're upset. And so they take Elijah, God tells him to take off and go hide by this brook. And at the brook, this, there's this trickling brook. 
He's fed by ravens. Ravens, like crows, bring trash to him to eat. You know, it's miraculous that God provides, but it's also pretty nasty. Okay, so they provide, they somehow fly with like food in their beaks and come and bring it to Elijah, these crows, and then he eats the food and he has water from the brook. But that's much more than can be said for most of Israel because they're in a famine where there's no crops being produced. Well, next door, out in other regions, in Gentile, non-Israel regions, there's this woman, this widow who lives in the region of Sidon in this town called Zarephath. And God tells him, the brook dries up, and God tells him, go to her to get your food. Okay? So he goes to Gentile territory. Now, in this Gentile territory, they're not worshiping Yahweh. They're not worshiping Jehovah. They're not worshiping the true God. Who are they worshiping? And he guesses the big Gentile God of the time. Starts with a B. Baal! Thank you. Man! So um, they, they're worshiping Baal. Anybody know what Baal is the god of? He's the god of fertility. And that doesn't just mean like human reproduction. What that means is like the crops, the fertile crops, the land is fertile. So here's the deal, is that god of Baal is supposed to be able to produce fertile crops, but all the crops are missing. God of Yahweh can provide everything, but his people won't listen to him. So these people are trying to receive from the wrong person. Their theology is messed up. And these people over here are going over to the God of Baal and they're worshiping the wrong one. And so what God does is he wipes out all the fertility to show them that Baal is a total wuss and can't provide anything. He doesn't have what it takes. He's not real. There's nothing there. And so he's bringing a big wake-up call. And and they won't receive Elijah, though, in Israel because he's the prophet of Yahweh. And they don't want anything that Yahweh has to say because they don't want to be under the authority of Yahweh because they think that the grass is greener over on the other side. But it's every bit as brown and dry over there, too. So what God does is he sends Elijah over to the other side where Baal is worshipped to this lady who's a widow who has no source of income. And he says, go and I'm going to provide for you from one of Baal's people and it's going to be a widow who has nothing. And I'm going to show you how this works. And so he sends her over, sends him over and he walks into Zarephath. And when he gets there, she's gathering sticks. Anybody remember what she's gathering sticks for? Anybody remember this story? Help me out if you know. All right, so she's about to make bread. She's about to have a fire, okay? And she, how much food does she have? Anybody remember? One meal. And is she, who's she feeding? Her and her son. So there's her and her son. They have one meal. And what she says, when Elijah comes up, he says, woman, give me the food. And she says, all I have is right here. I promise you, all I have is these sticks to make this fire with this flour and this oil, one cake. We're going to have one pancake and split it. And that's going to be it. And then we're going to die. That's what she said. And then we're going to die. Now think about this for a second. Now that we've broken this down, I want you to really think about this with me. What do you do if you're Elijah right now? What do you do if you're Elijah? Uh, I mean, what kind of guy goes over into some other town and asks some widow lady who has one pancake to feed her and her son and then they're going to die and he says, give it to me. What kind of guy does that? That's the kind of guy that uh, parents tell the ladies to stay away from. 
That's the kind of guy that is, you know? Or it's the guy who's doing it because God told him to. Because it's an inside-out kingdom, and it doesn't make sense. And sometimes they look so similar, the craziness of the kingdom of God and the irresponsibility of laziness, sometimes they look so similar. But the motivation is the world of difference. And what happens in this moment is Elijah takes a big leap of faith, and his big leap of faith is to say, give it to me anyway. Huge leap of faith. Because you know his heart didn't want to hurt her. You know he's a good guy. He's a prophet of God, a good, an amazing prophet of God. He doesn't want to hurt her, but he steps out in faith and he says, give it to me. How does she respond? With faith. She gives. She gives to Elijah. Hear that word and feel that word deep in your bones and in your spirit. She gives to him. And as she gives to him, gives him this last cake, he eats it. And what happens? You tell the story. What happens? The the more flour in the jar never runs out. God gives to her because she gave to him. Does she deserve that food from God? Not at all. Did she earn that food from God? Not at all. It's grace. But she had to receive that grace from God. And how did she receive it? By giving to the one who came to provide it for her. And so she gave. And Elijah, in faith, received. And when he received, then he was able to give to her. He saw God give to her what he could have never given to her because he was willing to receive from her what God told him to receive from her. And unless we receive what we're supposed to, we can't give what we need to. And unless we receive what we need to, we can't give and vice versa. It goes both ways. Unless we give, we can't receive. And unless we receive, we can't give. And those are the two principles. You've heard it said that it is in giving that you receive, right? So there's two principles that we're going to look at with the remainder of this time. And it's, it's in giving that you receive and it's in receiving that you give. Okay? In giving, we receive. How does that work? Well, I can say that I love something but I can't really love it unless I invest into it. How do I know that? Because Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, he gives me a principle about how I know where my heart is going to be. How do I get my heart to go somewhere? Where my treasure is, there my heart will be also. If I want to care about something, what do I need to do? Invest. I need to invest. I need to give toward it. Okay? That's time. That's my heart. That's my trust. That's my respect. That's my resources. That's all sorts of things that I can give. But the more I give towards something, the more invested I am. And I can say that I love, but if I really want my heart to be somewhere, I have to invest into it. So I can't truly receive the fullness that something has for me unless I love it. And I can't love it unless I'm invested. This is long-term investing. Josh and I were just talking about this message. Josh and I have been talking about this message for a long time. I think this message was Josh's idea uh, a year and a half ago probably. And, and then we were talking about it this week because I'm like, you told me to preach this message. So what am I supposed to preach about, dude? You know, <laughs> we, we, we bounce around with these things with each other. And as we were talking about it, he was like, remember that, um, that guy, Simeon, 
in the New Testament when Jesus, eight days old, came to the temple. You remember this guy? Yeah, and Simeon, his whole life, he invested into the temple. And at the very end of his life, he was given a spectacular gift. What was that gift? Yeah, he got to see Jesus. The gift was Jesus. The funny thing is, is that everyone else in the temple also got to see Jesus. Did they know who Jesus was? Did they know what they were able, what they were receiving? Were they able to receive the fullness of God's gift? No. Why? Because they weren't invested the way Simeon was invested. He was so invested that he was tuned to be able to receive. You know, when he was in a posture like Capernaum where they're giving like, whoa, not in a posture of Nazareth where it's entitlement. If it's entitlement, all I want is for God to show up and do this. Well, I'm not going to receive it when he gives it because it's not going to be in the form that I expect it. But if I'm in the posture of respecting and investing into God, then guess what? When he brings me what it is that he's going to bring me, I'm going to be like, you know, and I'm going to be so excited because I'm going to be able to receive it. When no one else can see just how amazing this is, I'm going to be able to receive. Why? Because my mind is tuned in because I'm, I'm invested. I'm here. My heart is toward it. I can see the whole thing. I understand what amazes me sometimes about a mother, particularly my wife, but mothers in general, I get to see it the most of the moment, is when they're so in tune with their child that when some little thing happens that no one else would have known is some big deal, but they see it happen in their kid and they get super excited. And there's sometimes when I'm staying so busy about stuff that my boys will do something and I didn't realize how big of a deal it was. And then Jen will just start laughing or she'll be like, that was awesome. And I'm like, why was that? I'm like, oh, wow. That really was awesome. Why? Because Jen is constantly investing into them. Constantly investing. And so therefore she's tuned to receive the gift in the moment. To the extent that we are invested into our relationships, to the extent that we are invested into God, to the extent that we are giving to the community of God is the extent to which we can receive the goodness that comes from it. If I want to stand in a certain place in a relationship with another human and be critical toward that person when I'm not giving toward them, half of the problem at least is because I'm not in tune appropriately to see the goodness that is coming because I'm not actually giving toward them and investing in, so my perspective isn't right. You know? And so I can't actually see. Unless I'm giving, I can't truly receive. And it is more blessed to give than to receive. This is why Luke 6, 38 says this. Give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down. Picture this for a second. Picture this. And that Luke 6, 38, you can look it up if you want. A, give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. You picture that? You're getting a grain, a bag of grain, and it's all kind of fluffed up. Then the guy's like shaking it, getting it to go down. He's pounding it down, trying to get it to settle. He's jumping on it, whatever, trying to get it to go down. There it is. And finally, it gets, you know, it just dropped this much. So then they pour more on top and then it overflows. And what God's saying is what it is that we're trying to receive what it is that we need to receive, there is so much more. But the extent to which that will be received is proportionate to the extent at which we are giving. The more I want, 
the place I'm supposed to go with that is investment. Investment. And part of that is because I can't actually access, I can't actually receive what there is to, to gain unless I'm invested. This is about worship. This is why giving is about worship. It's about giving, it's about investing where we think appropriate. Think about it in our lives. Think about this for a second. Where am I investing my life? Because wherever I'm investing my life, that's where I'm going to be looking to receive from. And where do I think I can receive the most from? If I honestly believe that God is the most valuable, then my life should be primarily investing into God. If I believe that I should be receiving from my family, from my church, from wherever, then it takes me focusing toward it, investing into it, and then receiving ultimately from it. I've seen people in the church um, who have invested many, 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 many years into a church that hasn't been what it is that they had always hoped it would be. And yet they have received so much in the midst of that journey because they've given themselves to it. And so what they're receiving from is not just from the church, they're receiving from God, a journey about giving themselves. And that's where we receive the depth and the fullness. All right, so that's about we give to receive, but there's a whole other side, which is about we receive in order to give. And what is this about? You know, um, receiving next to giving is kind of like breathing out versus next to breathing in. And if we want to be part of something, a relationship, a community, we actually have to receive from it, not just give to it. Because that thing has to have its heart attached to me, too. And if, if where that person's treasure is, their heart will be, then if I won't receive from them, then their heart can't be toward me. I need to be able to receive from them. What's the difference between consumerism and receiving? You know, this is an important question because if we actually have to receive, do you think Elijah really wanted to gain from that widow? Of course not. It was an act of faith in receiving versus consumerism. Okay, difference is consumerism. I'm, I'm going and I'm dropping money in order to get some goods that are going to make me feel good. Receiving is that something or someone wants to Give to me freely, and I have to let go my ability to earn it, and I have to just open up and receive it. It's a very different thing. And we struggle with receiving. Do you know why we struggle with receiving? Anybody guess why we struggle with receiving? What's that? All right, pride. Pride is a huge one. Another one's fear. They're the two big reasons, pride and fear. Let me explain fear first. People manipulate with resources. People will smile at us and charm us. People will give us money and do different things in order to get a hold of us. I'm not trying to receive your smile right now. I'm not trying to receive your money right now. I'm not trying to receive any of your stuff right now because I don't want you controlling me. Fear. Then there's pride. I don't want to owe you. I got this on my own. I don't need help. Have you noticed? I got this. You know, pride. Pride and fear keep us from receiving from one another. Sometimes for good reason. You know, we know this person is just flattering us. We know this person is just trying to purchase us. We know, you know, we know. But if in the fear and in the pride, we are unable to receive appropriately from the community, then they cannot actually love us and I cannot actually receive from God. And I am depriving them of the beautiful ability to receive from giving 
But sometimes it's hard. You know, uh, when, we were, when we were at Moody, uh, you'd take a missions class, and they'd always create these great pictures of what it's like in the mission field, which it's only this way for like a tiny little fraction of people in the mission field, but they just want to mess with you. So they're like, okay, so here you are in the mission field and you sit down at the dinner table and somebody brings out like monkey brains, you know, like, what do you do with it? You know? And well, you got to eat it. You got to eat the monkey brains, you know? Why? Because like, that's their delicacy. And if they're bringing that out, then you're not receiving from them and you're not letting them invest into you and you're not letting their heart get attached to you. You're breaking trust with them and therefore you're not at a place where you have the right to share the gospel with them if you're not willing to receive anything from them. If, if someone says to you, I will only give to you and I will never let you give to me. What's that say? They think they're better than me. <laughs> That's what that says. You know, and unless I'm willing to receive from someone, I don't have the right to give from them in the same way that unless I'm willing to give to them, I don't really have the right to receive with God. Well, I got to receive his grace, but what I have to give up is my pride. And it's the same way with others. And sometimes it's really difficult. I don't want people. I don't want to owe people. You know, I don't want them having something on me. You know what I mean? Like if someone says, I'll help you out with that. Well, great. Now the next time when I, they need help, I got to help them out. And I'd rather have control of my schedule. And I don't want to feel like I got to owe them, you know? I don't want to get that deep in. I don't think we're there yet, you know? And so I can't actually let this thing go further unless I'm willing to receive. But once I receive, then they feel like they have a right in my life. And guess what? In the kingdom of God, they do. And it's not a bad thing to owe somebody. I just want to say that like 10 more times. It's not a bad thing to owe somebody. As a matter of fact, you can't worship God without owing him. I owe him a debt of gratitude. Remember the three big forms of praise that we've gone through here? Get small, get close, and get grateful. Being grateful to God is a debt of gratitude that gives him worship, that says, you are worth it. I am in debt to you because all you have done to me. And, you know, when it comes to the community of Christ, we should be completely and totally, totally interdependent with one another in the ways that we are constantly giving and receiving. And it's not earning. It's not, I'll scratch your back and you'll scratch my back and we're codependent. What it means is, is I will let you give to me and I will give to you. And we're not keeping score, but we understand that I am not the good one who only gives and doesn't receive. And I am also not just the consumer who only mooches off everyone and doesn't do anything. I am in a posture of giving and receiving. I am no better than you, no worse than you. We need God. And the way that he manifests his love is through the love of the brethren. So I will give and I will receive. But here's the other thing that makes it really difficult to receive. Most of the time, what people are given isn't what I want. You ever gotten one of those Christmas presents? (laughs) <laughs> what do you do? You know, uh, and my, my, you know, kids are masters at giving you presents that you don't know what to do with. And yet their heart's in the right place. And then what do you do with the thing? You know, can I rejoice in this thing? I don't know what to do. Can I wear that tie or not? You know, can I, you know, and, and how do you deal with it? You know, and, and here's the thing is that Jesus is such an awesome example of this, an incredible example. After he fasted for 40 days, 
And he was finally done with all the temptation. Do you remember who came and attended to him? Anybody remember? It says the angels came and attended to him. I bet you angels are pretty good at attending to people. Do you think Jesus needed anyone to attend to him? No. Did Jesus let anyone attend to him? Absolutely. He let prostitutes weep on his feet. Why? Because they needed to. And you know what? He didn't just put up with it. He enjoyed it. Because it wouldn't have been really cool for them unless he enjoyed it. And they knew that he did. And how did he? Because he gave to them. And so his heart was invested. And when he saw them able to give, he had great joy. It wasn't about what he was receiving. It was about the fact that they were receiving because they were giving. And that made him happy because his heart was attached to them because he had given toward them. It's this beautiful thing. At one point when we were living in Ephrata, I had my knee busted up and I had three surgeries on my knee and Jen had um, given birth to Colton and was paralyzed in one leg for a period of time. And in the middle of all of that, we couldn't function very well as a family with our legs out, you know? Things were just not easy. And um, the church really wanted to help us. They were like, what can we do? You can't cook meals. You can't do laundry. You can't do all that stuff. We're going to just come in and we're going to take care of things. And I was like, back up. You know, I'm not trying to have other people at my dinner table. I'm really not trying to have other people wash our dirty laundry, as it were. You know, and, uh, and yet it was very clear. I remember having a conversation with you, Josh, about this. We were on the phone. Josh was living in Michigan at the time. And he's like, dude, you're going to have to get over it. And you're going to have to uh, receive right now. And, uh, and so we were on the phone. And I was like, yeah, I guess so. And so we kind of opened up and said, all right, whatever the church wants to do to help us out. And they set up the schedule. And in the schedule, people came into the house every day. And they were like cooking meals. And they were taking out laundry. And we're like, you know, legs up and all not able to shower and stuff, you know, and just not in our, the way we would like to be presentable, but people all over and all up in our business, you know. I was not comfortable at all. I did not want to receive at all, you know. And um, I, the, the one lady who's just got one of those personalities that just always says everything right there in front of you. Oh, man, she just got me so bad. When we were finally back up on our legs, she said, Tim, We have loved being here and serving you. But for the rest of my life, I never once want to wash a pair of your underwear again. (laughs) Thank you. Yes. Talk about airing out your dirty laundry. You know, this is what it takes in order for community to exist and in order for love to exist between God and us and between others and us. We have to be willing to receive in ways that we are not comfortable receiving. And it's very difficult for us to do that because we're prideful people, we're independent people, and we're afraid. We want control of our space, of our resources, of our stuff, and we can't trust other people with it. But here's the thing. Elijah couldn't trust the widow, and the widow couldn't trust Elijah. But guess who they both trusted? 
God. And when God says to give, we give. And when God says to receive, we receive. And if our pride or our fear gets in the way, guess what it gets in the way of? Receiving Jesus of Nazareth when he shows up in his hometown. God has grace for us like we can't imagine. Those people from Ephrata who are in our house every day, they're some of our best friends in the world. They helped fund the Parker Ford Church replant. They probably invested more into this church financially than anyone else in the process of the replant because their hearts were attached to us and they loved giving. So they threw tons of money and making the replant here work. We have a during Day of Remembrance, our family holiday, we celebrate it once a year. We just celebrated it this week where we remember all the things that God did to transition us from Ephrata to here and the miraculous things he did. It was absolutely spectacular. And when we celebrate that, we go back to Ephrata. And every time that we're sitting outside of that house where we lived and I look in, I remember those people walking through our kitchen and walking through our living room as my leg is jacked up and I'm just sitting there feeling like a total moron because I can't do anything. And they're seeing me in all my mess, you know, and I'm remembering, man, Man, were we close to God together in that moment, you know? And we built true ligaments in the body of Christ because we aired it out, because we both gave and received. And it wasn't this person's the giver and this person's the receiver. God's given us each gifts. And those gifts, the point of those gifts are not for me. The point is the best gift that God can ever give me is a gift that I can give to someone else. That's the true gift. The ability to give is the big gift because it's in the giving that we receive. And, and so that's why the spiritual gift is the thing that I bring to the body. And if, you know, if, I, if I, one of my kids wants to go to a birthday party and they want to give a present to their kid, one of their friends and I buy them a gift and then they're like, I don't want to give it to my friend. I just want to keep it for myself. Well, that, that doesn't work out. The joy's in the giving. You know, that's the whole point of the gift. And it's the same thing with us. Unless we're invested into the community and throwing ourselves into others' lives, we don't, we're not able to experience the true joy of what God wants to give to us. And in the same way, unless I'm willing to receive the gift that others have to give to me, then I'm not, not only am I not allowing them to have the joy of giving, I am also missing all that God has for me. And you know the place where it hurts the most is God's prophets. It's the place where it hurts the most because they speak the truth. And the hardest thing to receive in the kingdom of God is when someone wants to speak the truth to you. No one wants to hear Elijah when he comes into Israel. And no one wants to hear from Jesus when he comes into Nazareth. And no one wants to hear from that best friend who's going to walk over to him and tell you, hey, what's going on right there? I know this is iron sharpening iron. I know there's sparks flying everywhere. But if you will receive this gift from me, I can promise you this is God's goodness for your life. Please, please receive the gift. I don't know about you, but I don't want anybody telling me about my mess at all. But the kingdom of God is built on this principle right here. To the extent that we will give, our hearts will be attached and we will learn to receive. And to the extent that we will receive, we will receive the truth that will set us free. And I want it. And I want it for Park Ford Church. I want it for all of us. And I believe that he calls us to a place to give beyond what is rational. And to receive beyond what we're comfortable with in order to enjoy the fullness of Jesus Christ. Amen?